Hey there, TMS listeners, it's Panicky here. We're running a little bit late on our release schedule this week because of what can only be described as unavoidable life nonsense. So I thought I would put out a bonus episode for now. This is a few outtakes from last week's GMO No episode, where we talk a little bit more about Okja, and we also kind of get distracted and talk about pescatarianism a little bit. We're actually going to be doing a bit more of a deep dive into that topic at a later date, but you can consider this a little bit of a teaser. So I hope that you enjoy this loosey-goosey bonus episode while we're getting our Shake It Like a Polaroid picture episode up and running. Hopefully it won't be too long. Okay, thank you. Was almost in tears at the uh, oh i was <laughs> at the end i wept um uh, not i mean i know it's hypothetical in in Oxford, but it's it's obviously what we're doing to yeah absolutely now. no it's very much grounded in reality of course it's, um yeah, horrendous. yeah but john ronson as of uh, 2017 was self-identified as a fish and chip crit. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, he doesn't eat... Well, he says he doesn't eat meat. I do consider fish to be meat, but whatever. Yeah, I must be. I always find find that an odd distinction. Mm. I don't understand the difference, personally. Yeah, I think it's... I mean, I know there are are some differences, but in terms of animal or not... I mean, I... I don't see I don't see why you'd make I mean obviously people make the white meat red meat distinction um but I don't mm. really understand why you'd make a distinction between eating fish and eating birds um or like fish and insects as well though then cuz Yeah that's true I, but hmm. it, it feels like it's a scale for many people yeah. of kind of I guess <laughs> making this up here but plants and then microorganisms and bacteria and then insects and then fish and then birds and then mammals yeah although don't forget what silver says in the movie that all food production is exploitative so that you know what you're gonna do Mm, um yeah but no i do think it's well i we have talked about possibly doing a pescatarianism episode at Mm. some point so maybe we'll get we'll dig into that a little bit deeper at some point but i know for a long time there was a debate about whether fish could feel pain or not uh right i mean uh, to me it seems like if they're vertebrates then yes but i don't know there was there was a ton of debate about it and um i think that was the argument that a lot of people used for a long time is that fish don't feel pain which i'm not sure is actually true and then also there's the environmental thing of like oh fishing isn't as bad for the environment which actually also is not true but we maybe we'll get into that uh further uh on another Mm. uh occasion i think for me as well like i kind of had a bit of a realization part mm, partly enhanced by the film last night but also a few few days ago that I'm I'm aware that some of the meat eaters that I know don't want to be confronted with the realities of how animals are treated. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They enjoy eating meat, and this is nothing against them, because I realise myself 
I'm doing the same thing with dairy. Mm. I I know that there's some very revealing documentaries out there that um, show some of the horrors of parts. Obviously not all. There's lots of very loving farmers who are looking after their animals. But parts of the dairy industry isn't great for the animals. Mm. Or the environment. I'm Or the environment. And I'm... I'm not putting myself in a position of watching that because I love cheese. <laughs> so I'm doing exactly the same thing. Oh, that's such an interesting um, point, yeah. I realise that I'm in purposeful denial, especially, I suppose, being a vegetarian aware and aware of half of it yeah. and having quite strong moral opinions about eating meat for myself. But yet, I don't want to... I don't want to see things that will make me feel unable to eat cheese <laughs> because I enjoy it and wow, I'm doing yeah. exactly the same well, thing. Well, that, that's a real yeah. insight, I think. That's really interesting. But, uh, yeah. But I assume it's the same with fish anyway. It's kind of like a halfway mm, pound. Mm. I mean, pff, honestly, any meat reduction is better than nothing as far as I'm concerned. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, sometimes the kind of mental gymnastics that people use mm. do irritate me. But, yeah. But mm. then again, I mean, as much as that line or food production as exploitative is kind of satirical and self-deprecating at the same time you know there's a huge amount of truth to that I mean I've quit I, eating I it, yeah. rice <laughs> no, really? I've stopped eating rice because of the water consumption of rice oh. but then again I mean like I haven't quit coffee um, yeah that's very intense yeah I mean look it's really hard to know where to draw the line always um I was having this conversation with someone. I was in a webinar with Caroline Lucas, I think I told oh, you yeah, about yeah. it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I got into a conversation in the chat with somebody on that about just knowing where to start mm. or, like, knowing where, which battles to yeah. pick. And I really kind of feel that with environmental issues at the moment, there's, there isn't a clear strategy. Everyone knows things that will help, like certain actions, yeah. such as eat less rice, drink less coffee, buy less new clothes. Like, there's lots of things people know to do, but... There's so many little things that you can do, and it's knowing which ones. If you, your your brain is finite and has a limited amount of space to consider these mm. things, and no, you could realistically, you're only going to manage to be able to do some of them. So it's knowing which are the most important things that you should be doing personally. And I I don't feel there's a clear strategy with that. Like I, I'm I think I'm aware because I've read a lot in this area, and I may be right or wrong, but. I think it's reduction of meat consumption. Is huge, Fly less, yeah. I th- those are the two ones that... Mm. Oh, yeah, the heat as well, yeah. we, we have, and heat. Yeah. I think they are the most crucial things that any person, the kind of consumer can do. Mm. Obviously, businesses and stuff can do something different, but I, I think for the majority of people day-to-day trying to just make right decisions, it's so complicated. Like tomatoes, again, like when I think we talked about this in a previous episode, where... Do you buy the British tomatoes, which are maybe being grown in a kind of a heated greenhouse, mm. which is very energy intensive? Or the ones that have been flown you, in, yeah. Or, or the ones that have been flown in, or the ones which have been shipped in, which is hopefully the better, but come from Spain. And from what I read, the ones that have come from Spain in non-heated greenhouses are probably more environmental. Friendly. That's so interesting. Of course, going, yeah. going for just seasonally produced local foods are probably even better but if you're going to buy tomatoes then yeah and it just you have to understand all the little details and nobody has the capacity to understand that all the time Mm. 
Um, and I've forgotten why I talked about this. There was a link. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I was talking about that uh, that line from Okja that Silver has about all, all food production being exploitative. Yeah, okay. and I think... I can't remember where I was going with that. But, no, yeah. no, but I, I do think it's true. And I think there's also this sense that as individuals, there's only so much that we can achieve if we don't also have kind of lobbying power to change the way that businesses and governments behave and I think sometimes Mm -hmm. it can feel a bit paralyzing because it can feel like we're really not listened to by those big powerful groups and I also think that there's a messaging problem you know I think I think that the opponents of environmentalism have done a really good job in painting it as this quite white and bourgeois movement when Mm. the fact is that actually the people who are currently being worst affected by climate change are the poorest people in the world, you know? And Mm. environmental racism is very real. And, you know, and also, you know, when you think about things like meat production or, you know, certain farming practices, it does tend to be very poor, often immigrant workers who are working in these jobs and these horrific slaughterhouse jobs with terrible conditions or in these intensive farms where, you know, they're picking fruit all day. Mm. Um, And I think sometimes maybe... And and I think that this is partially the fault of the opponents of environmentalism, but partially also like a failure of messaging as well on the part of activists, maybe, that it's Mm. like this middle class preoccupation and that the working class have bigger problems to deal with. And actually, it is the poor people who are the first to be affected by these big changes, especially in poorer countries. Um, So... But I I also, I suppose sort of agree though that those who are in those situations are so much dealing with the now and the reality of it that they don't necessarily have the time to (laughs) be able to go and campaign about fixing the root of oh sure absolutely oh i'm not saying that like oh yeah yeah, you know i'm not saying those people should be (laughs) activists i'm just saying that i think that maybe maybe there's kind of like a failure of intersectionality on the part of the movement to some degree, but Mm. I think also there has been a little bit of smearing on the part of maybe interested parties who benefit from environmentalism not being taken seriously that also kind of has contributed to that perception. But I, I am hoping that as kind of younger people come up into the movement, they can, not that, obviously we should abdicate responsibility and put it all on the shoulders of the younger people but I, I do I do have some optimism that they'll be able to kind of integrate those issues because they're kind of coming up with a lot of awareness of that stuff in a way that maybe when we were growing up we didn't think about that kind of thing quite as much I think truthfully no I like I like Wes Anderson. Um, I did feel like some of the stuff in Okja felt quite Wes Anderson, like a lot mm. of the ALF stuff to me. Like the, I really um, enjoyed Okja. I, th- yeah, I thought it was really good. I really liked it too. Um, I found Apart it really, from really crying. moving. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> didn't was, enjoy that. It was such. pretty heartbreaking. Oh, the um, little—they didn't really look like pigs. They looked like hippos, but oh, they the definitely did. Pig. Yeah. Oh, the little baby running. Oh, it was so sad. I know, I know. And that, um, when she's walking out, I don't know how much we should spoil. Oh, yeah, um, true. <laughs> but um, 
the scene anywhere the the scene very near the end where she is walking out of the slaughterhouse yeah. um hopefully is not too much of a spoiler um mm. that was really tough to watch um but uh, but yeah oh my god i mean and such an amazing cast as well yeah like, i'm impressed with that yeah, like, I mean, obviously Tilda Swinton and um, Giancarlo Esposito, but, like, all the ALF people, I mean, Stephen Yen is so great, but this was kind of before he'd really, I mean, everybody's in love with Stephen Yen now, uh, Yen, sorry, I'm, I'm not 100% sure how you say it, but The Stephen... main ALF guy, who was that? Hmm? The kind of ALF leader. Who, who that, that was um, Paul Dano or Dano. Oh yeah. What else? What else has he been in? Well, so the okay. So the the main things that I know him from are there will be blood, and um, a biopic of Brian Wilson called Love and Mercy. Although Love and Mercy is not so well known, it's just a film that I happen to really like. Um, he was also in Ruby Sparks. Um, he was in Meek's Cutoff. Um, both of those, he was. In any of these, but I did recognize. He was in with Zoe Kazan, um, who is his real life partner. Um, oh, what else? I'm just trying to think what you might have seen him in. He's probably been in another. Christmas Sunshine. I have seen that. Oh yes, I think that was his um, his like big break. That was his his first major film, I think. Little Miss Sunshine. It's been like years since I've seen that. Uh, yeah, I'm I don't know. I'm through, through his list, but I've not really seen that many of these films, but I felt like I recognised him. Yeah, I don't know, I love yeah, him. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's he great. And he's so cool in that movie, in Okja, <laughs> but also, like, kind of sinister as well. Like, it was really mm. hard to know what to make of him. Like, that scene where also he... also very caring. Which, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But like that scene where he beats up Stephen Yun, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, whoa, yeah. that came out of nowhere. I really was not expecting that. But then in the rest of it, he's very like composed and cool, and mm. you know, I I felt that way really with the ALF as a whole, where it was mm. kind of like you generally really sympathize with them but then there are a few moments where you start to feel like there's something sinister like bubbling underneath the surface slightly mm. but certainly nowhere near as much as there is with the like tilda swinton um business yeah, <laughs> yeah no i really enjoyed the film. Very well done. did you uh did you make it to the post credit scene Oh, there was a post-credit scene. No. Yeah, I know. Well, I I was lucky because I I think I was entering it on Letterboxd while <laughs> while the credits were rolling, um. So I was distracted doing that, and that was probably the only reason why I left it on long enough to realise that there was a post-credit scene. Uh-huh. But yeah, there is. It's the oh. Paul Dano character getting out of prison. Uh, and he's greeted by Stephen Yen. Oh, I am. I mean, I'm just spoiling it now. Sorry, uh, everyone. We can cut this bit out. But I <laughs> yeah. <want to> know. <laughs> yeah. So he's greeted by Stephen Yen as he comes out of prison, and they all get on a bus, and then they're talking about um, their next plan. They don't get into the specifics of it, um, mm. and then they introduce a new member who is Kim, who was the uh, truck driver from uh, Korea. Right. Yeah. Huh. So. Uh, what did you think at the end when um, Mia, 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 Mia was listening to Okja? 
like she was stood in it. It was like she was sensing what she was, what the super pig was saying. Yeah, well, it kind of felt like a revert because there are two scenes prior to that where we see her whispering into Okja's ear. Uh, so yeah, it felt like it, a, it felt like it, there was like a connection and an, and an understanding. Definitely, yeah, definitely. And I'm um, wondering what that meant. Mm, I. I honestly don't know. Like, that felt really ambiguous to me. Um, the main thing I thought was, oh, it's really interesting because it's a reversal of the scenes that we saw before. Um, but, yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess at that point in the film, I was hoping for some sign that Mija was going to manage to, like... Not, I mean, obviously, I knew it was the end of the film. I knew that the film mm. was like winding down, but I was just hoping for some kind of like little um, indicator that Mija would go on to kind of lead some kind of revolution against the company or whatever. Mm. Um, and you don't really get that. Um, so I think I was kind of that's what I was focused on at the time more than I was focused on trying to kind of decode that that mm. moment. Well, see, I, I don't see that as being the natural route. I think it's. She wants to look after Okja and now that new baby one, which was that kind of where sense, I was thinking yeah. more like the next generation. Like I wondered because she was forcibly mated. Yeah, with, I was thinking that as well. Yeah, it could be that that was the connection in that they would have their own. I don't know. Heard of super pigs, but <laughs> no, I I wondered about that too. Yeah, I suppose it's yeah. I suppose there's a sense that maybe it's down to the ALF now to you know because mm, she, or... she never wanted to get involved with it did she? yeah she just that's wanted true Dr. back well that's true but then i i just wondered if maybe she'd been radicalized by the experience you know yeah or the alf come and get her mm, yeah i don't know well I'm, there are a lot of really interesting kind of possibilities from the end of it i, I don't mm. but it was really interesting because it really made me think about how I feel like in so much children's literature about like farm animals, it is about pigs. Like pretty mm, almost all of the Dickie Smith books are about pigs, and then like Charlotte's Web is also and about babe. a pig. Well, that's Dick King Smith. Oh, is it? Oh. Yeah, but he right. he loved. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> but but he loved he loved pigs, and I mean pigs. Oh, and also of course Animal Farm, although that's not children's mm. literature, mm. but like. It does feel like we have this really odd relationship with pigs because... Is it the intelligence? Because they're meant to be really clever. And like in, in Okja, yeah. the, the intelligence really got to me because yeah. you could... Well, I, I know it must have been purposefully shown this way, but the intelligence in the eyes and like when... Okja, when me just slips down the yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's... Yeah, I think it's partly that, but I think it's also... They're quite genetically close to us, I think, in the sense that, like, I think... Some more than others. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think um, they sometimes use pigs for experiments because... Oh, oh they, use, they use pigs for organ transplants, don't they? Because their organs oh. are more likely to be accepted um, yeah. because of the kind of genetic um, similarities. They say that human meat tastes like pig meat. Um, and also, like, they don't have a ton of hair. Wait, who says that? Well, people who've tasted human meat. Yeah. But that's for another episode. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. I yeah, want the... to talk to people you talk to. 
<laughs> no, um, famously, human meat is known as long pig. Um, hmm. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so I think there are a lot of um, sort of similarities between pigs and humans. But at the same time, we kind of vilify them. Like, you know, we talk about chauvinist pigs or mm. we talk about pigs as being dirty or lazy or, mm. you know, eating like a pig. We have all of these derogatory expressions and stuff about pigs. And yet at the same time, I think that we do identify with them. So I almost feel as if pigs historically have been this weird kind of funhouse mirror to humanity where we've seen the worst of ourselves whereas in reality they're probably i mean i would say maybe pigs represent the best of us you know and i think this is kind of what comes out in some of this 20th century children's literature like the dicking smith stuff and charlotte's web is that maybe pigs are really the best of us you know they're um I think they feel love and they look after their children, they're intelligent, um, you know, so yeah, it's a really interesting kind of ambivalent relationship that we have with them as a species. Fun, fun story, when I was in reception, I was in the playground and loads of the kids were playing with the, I think it was the head teacher, and they're going, oh, oh, you're a cat, you're a cow, you're a sheep, and I came up and tried to join and went, you're a pig, and he got really cross with me. <gasps> Yeah, and, see, there you go. It's and like, I thought I was just playing along. And I remember being so embarrassed because I didn't want to be aww. rude. <laughs> and that but, set, set the ball rolling for uh, my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, do I know the feeling. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I do think it's really interesting, yeah, isn't it? Like, why is it that we think of pigs in these negative terms? when and oh and and people are kind of like oh they roll around in shit or whatever and it's kind of like well only because we keep them penned up like we did that to them like i think they only do that because um they don't have sweat glands so it's how they cool down on a hot day which is completely reasonable as far as i'm concerned <laughs> i don't think there's anything wrong with that but yeah if you leave an animal penned up in its own muck then uh, yeah it's gonna be dirty it's yeah. not the animal's fault like i and ah uh, anyway but yeah pigs are good i like pigs um yeah. but yeah there's also um in the film upstream color which i love that film um the director has been accused of some kind of unsavory activities fairly recently mm. which is really disappointing but um you know but i, I still love the movie um that again is a kind of pig human connection where the pigs are sympathetic which is interesting so it does mm. maybe feel like the tide is turning a little bit on the way that we perceive pigs and i think pigs as pets are becoming a lot more popular yeah micro pigs micro pig although micro pigs are a myth i think no small pigs well yeah i think basically they're small when they're sold as pets and then oh, they... right they're piglets <laughs> They're piglets, and then they just grow up into pigs, um, <laughs> which is not ideal. Um, I mean, they might be like Vietnamese potbelly pigs, which are smaller than average. But they're have still you seen not the sheep like pigs? Teeny tiny. The sheep pigs. Yeah, um, I think they're like Kazakhstanian pigs or something. Sheep pigs. Check, well, they, check like it out. They herd sheep. No, check check them out. Okay. You have to you have to search. You have to see, have a look. If you just search sheep pigs. They're like sheep pigs. What? They're like woolly pigs. 
okay. A Hungarian breed of domestic Hungarian, pig? Hungarian, is it? Yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, they're amazing. Cute. That's very cute. Yeah. <laughs> now that um, looks like something that's been genetically modified. It really does. Oh, that's adorable. All right. I don't know if we're still doing the podcast or if we're just talking now. And thanks for listening. As always, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the most scale, or you can email us at themostscale at gmail.com with any comments and feedback. And remember, we want to know which version of the theme song is better. It's the full version on this episode, and it was the short version on last week's episode. So, which one's better? I know what I think. Tell me what you think. Okay, bye!